AM1600KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Glad to be here with you for our Christmas edition here of the Spirits of New Mexico with my good friend Jim Hammond and Kevin Petrusnik as, of course, we always put together a good show and we're going to keep you company here on this Christmas evening here, 2021, and glad to be doing it uh, with you and yours. So certainly hope that you uh, enjoyed uh, your Christmas uh, we certainly are, and uh, we're here with you, Jim Hammond, uh, Kevin. How are you two? Hey, Merry how's Christmas. It going? Well, how can we not be good on Christmas? I mean, really, that's just a special day for almost everybody. Well, most people. Anyway, and uh, so it is for, for us. So, yep, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to all, and to all a good, safe New Year's. That's right. That's the most important thing, that everybody is safe and right. enjoying themselves responsibly. That's probably the the most important thing that you just enjoy, but not overindulge. Yeah. If you're going to be irresponsible, make sure you're staying home. Okay. That's all. You're right. Irresponsibility does happen from time to time. So (laughs) So, at this point, I wouldn't even trust people to just stay at home anymore with all the stories that we've heard. Um, So just drink responsibly, period. Because then you have more for tomorrow if you don't drink it all in one day. That's right. That's a a very good point. Put the cork in it. When you, when your body tells you you've had enough, um, and uh, your brain says keep going, but your yeah, body says no mas. Exactly, no exactly. mas tecate. <laughs> and then the next day you look and you'll say, oh, I still have a hot bottle. Oh, good, boy, I'm there glad I didn't polish it off. So yeah. Uh, so anyway, a- along with that, we also will have some uh, details about uh, going forward of safely opening a sparkling wine because. Mm. I assume you've already been doing that. You may be doing it right now, uh, watching the show, uh, listening to the show. and uh, Someday we'll be able to watch the show. Yeah. I'm looking forward well, to yeah. that. We'll, we can, we can, I can flip on the cameras now, baby. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, We're good. No. no, this is not a good time to turn the cameras <laughs> on. I'm still in my pajamas. Come on. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Christmas Day. We haven't gotten out of our pajamas yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so anyway, yeah, so uh, we've had a... Um, a pretty good one. I had, uh, I think I talked before, we were going to do a beef Wellington. And actually, I thought about it a little bit more, and, and we're having a, a more intimate group of four of us. And I thought, a rack of lamb. So, oh. rack of lamb is great. Because no one I does had, the rack of lamb quite like Jim Hammond, I should say. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, that's, that brings them in droves. And, of course, I got lots of Pinot Noir wines uh, on tap there. So, I'm, I'm good for that. And uh, but of course a lot of a lot of sparkling wines are going to be consumed over over this weekend, and they certainly will be next weekend. So we want to give you a, some insights into sparkling wine, a little bit about about how to handle them properly, a little bit about the history of sparkling wines because uh, it, the, the the history is kind of fascinating, and and it may also shatter a number of your misconceptions about about wine and, and where you can get great sparkling wines. Because we're going to talk about a number of places where you can get great sparkling wine. You don't always have to rely just on champagne, uh, although a lot of people will plan as part of the, you know, the, the having part of of the celebration be with champagne. I think is appropriate, absolutely. Um, but again, for for some having uh, a case of uh, a a, a uh, Clicquot mm. is is going to be an investment. Of, of some sort, so you better have a lot of people. Oh, that's one of Eddie's favorites. It is. Oh yeah, well, the, it, it is. Or as we refer to it in Vegas, uh, Kevin. Yeah. Orange label. Orange label. Yes. Orange label. Yeah. 
in case you aren't sure how to pronounce that, the Widow <laughs> Clicquot, uh, amazing, amazing woman. So, yeah, she's the one that came up with the Riddler uh, riddling concept of how to actually extract all the nasty stuff from that second uh, second fermentation so that you had a nice, clear, clean uh, wine with a lot of fine bubbles coming up through it to just really express to you, yeah, it's the season. So that's where we're going there. So, And uh, Swackling Wine has been with us, of course, for, for centuries, but it didn't really originate in the Champagne region. That's the area where it became the heart of, of sparkling wines. But it actually occurred it actually occurred first in France. So at least for the, the French, that's like, okay, we, we, we at least got that part right. And, of course, the technique that we use for Champagne and a lot of the other quality houses is the Métaux Champenoise. And, um, and you don't have to pronounce it that way. You can do it any way you want, just like, yeah, the Champagne or the traditional method is the way it's also called. And uh, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, we'll talk a little bit about the history. So most people are, are familiar with uh, Dom Perignon. Uh, he was the, the monk that, that a lot of people think created champagne. Well, he, he did the basis of it, but not to where you were actually seeing sparkling wine being made. Uh, part of that was because uh, at, at that time, because they didn't, you have to remember back this, that, that long ago, um, people just knew about, well, if you do things this way, this is what you'll have as a result. We don't know why it's that result. We just know if you do it this way, you'll have that result. I mean, it was sort of an accident, right? I mean, that he just that he came upon this. Well, a it, bit it, of an accident. It, 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 well, the or the happy, accident, happy was, accident. The accident was was that what they didn't know, and of course, this is the basic thing: is is remember back then, sweet wines was the norm. Dry wines were almost unheard of, and so you had. Uh, this wine that would have a lot of residual sugar, and remember the the. You there? Yeah. Yeah, you're there. You're good. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. And uh, so, the 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 thing was because of the cold weather, you could easily have the fermentation shut down. Also early, you have a lot of residual sugar there, and then things warm up, and as things warms up, the yeast comes back alive. And when that happens, bingo, you're going to have a secondary fermentation in the bottle. Now, if you have bottles that were not designed to handle the atmospheric pressures of that, they shatter. And in fact, after the first one goes, the second one, the third, blah, 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 pretty soon you're losing a lot of your production. And you may have some damage from the monks being cut by frying glass. So uh, at that time, Dump Perignon knew the, from being in Lameau that this was a process that could happen. In all I can guess in Lameau was the, uh, when they were doing it, they had stronger bottles or they didn't have as much residual sugar uh, so that because the amount of residual sugar is gonna tell you how much carbonation you're gonna get uh, for that second fermentation. So they survived, but he kind of had an idea about that. His idea was to keep it out because he wanted to still wine, you know, most people. Yeah. first but still wine and so the first ones who actually did this of course was was and as I said in the Lamo this is part of the Languedoc region uh, it was it was higher up in the mountains so it did, did have colder weather uh, and that their 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 uh, first one was called Blanquette de Lamo uh, this is from writings that we know about from 1531 from the monks of Saint Hilaire 
Uh, yeah, and it's, it's interesting now that the Lamo is not as popular as other regions. You know, just kind of got it started there and it got left behind. Yeah, well, that's not the first. You know, that that yeah. happens in a lot of places. Yeah. You're you're the ones that started things, but the the ones who are popularizing it and the ones who had the money ah. and the expertise to to spread it forward yeah. were going to be in the Champagne region, of course. So you know that that's what happened. So as, as a result of all that, yeah, and and again, it was just as I said, winter time. Uh, you've done the harvest. You you bottled everything, but the temperatures are cold enough that it would shut down any more fermentation. And then when it warms up in the spring, uh, the residual sugar still in there is going to cause a secondary fermentation. And I, I guess the monks there thought, you know, this is not bad stuff, actually, with that little sparkle to it. It's kind of nice. It would be kind of a nice for a Christmas celebration. And whatever they didn't drink during the, during the winter. That, that's right. There, <laughs> there had to have been some left, right? <laughs> I mean, they had to write this stuff up. Someone had to do that. Anyway, so that was the, the first method. It's, it's still called the, the – it's now called the metol – Ancestral, and it was made with 100% mosaic, uh, M-A-U-Z-A-K-Z-A-C, excuse me. And that was a, it, it's an interesting grape. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a heavily produced area, but it was in the Languedoc. It was a standard one there, and it uh, really made really nice wines. Since it was 100% mosaic, the, the, what you ended up with was kind of apple peel and cidery elements to it, which... If you like that kind of stuff, would be something you would want to keep doing. Uh, they also do another Blancat de Lomo, which is a more more advanced one, uh, and and that one is made with the traditional method. So in this particular case, they're doing a second fermentation in the bottle, and they're doing the, ex- the di- disgorgement process, uh, so so that it would be kind of like a conventional one. Those were typically ninety percent mosaic, and then the third one was Cremant de Lomo, uh, and this is one that Cremant came out uh, as, as a concept, and this was a, a way of establishing a sparkling wine in France that did not come from Champagne. And that one could be Mosaic, Chardonnay, or Chenin Blanc. And, of course, you, you brought a marvelous bottle when we were talking about this in more detail of, uh, I, I believe it was a Blanquette. Was it a Blanquette or, or was it a Cremant? It was a Cremant. Oh, it yeah. was a Cremant. Yeah. And, and it was the Thomas Jefferson one? yes. Because he actually had some of the sparkling wine in the cellar, yeah. and so, and and, and that w- that was actually a really really nicely done wine. Oh, it was good. I remember yeah. that. Now that you bring it up, yeah. So anyway, the champagne itself was a lot was a much later starter. So, the first one established champagne house was 1729, and of course, uh, unfortunately, Don Pernod passed away in 1715. So, he didn't even see the first production, and the first ones that were shipped were 1764. Okay, so when we talk, when we honor uh, the Dom for for this, it's 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 his vision, the things he understood about how to blend wines, how to make a a, a white wine from red wine grapes. He was the first one that came up with that idea, mm-hmm. and of course that was supported a little later by Madame uh, Clicquot or the widow Clicquot, uh, who came up with the riddling concept. So before that, of course. You would have sediment in the bottle. Was that really her name? She was known as the Widow Clicquot? Sometimes she, she was, yeah. yeah. Uh, because, yes, yeah, she took over for her husband, and yeah. the winery took off. She was very, she, she was a very smart woman, uh, brilliant, actually, in, in the idea she came out with. So we, we can thank her a lot for the furthering of the tradition and the, and, and the, the mystique, if you will, 
of the champagne wines. Not too far after that was the, the Italian Prosecco's. Uh, so that was 1754. So notice this is uh, actually, uh, they're starting to make this before they even shipped the first champagne. So people can argue about where it first came from, but we'll leave that one for yep. someone else to worry that's, about. Uh, that's for other, that's, you can debate over a bottle of each. That's right. That yes. is, that's the best way to do it, debating it, because pretty yeah. soon you'll say, oh, let's just keep drinking. And anyway, the, the Glera grape, G-L-E-R-A, was the grape that they used for this. And, of course, um, it became very popular uh, in the late uh, 20th and into the 21st century. And uh, one of the people's coming on, on this said, for years, Prosecco was understood as the name of the grape. Uh, but as the demand for Prosecco exploded worldwide in the 21st century, the producers in northern uh, Italy wanted to protect their wine, just like Champagne does. So they found a village in Friuli called Prosecco and withdrew uh, the DOC designation to include it so that they could then claim that. But why not? I mean, really, if it's a Prosecco, it should be Italian. Uh, yeah. I, I, really. Yeah. You can say it's, it's Prosecco-like. But if you're not using the Glera grape anyway, uh, I don't think you should call it that. But that that's me. Uh, and so they, they used the, the method that evolved from, from time. The, the method they had was very similar to what Lameau first did. But later, uh, Martinotti came up with a, a method in 1895 that was improved in, I believe, 1920 by uh, Charmat, who, of course, gave the process his name. And this is the second method that we have for doing it. And this is where it's done. The second fermentation is done in a pressurized tank. Rather than have to do the disgorgement, which is a very labor-intensive process, they would just filter it, keep it under pressure, and then filter it before they put it into bottles. So you'd end up with a nice, clean-looking... Because you know, that's part of what you want, right? If you can't see the bubbles because of the fog around the glass, it's like half of the fun is missing, right? So right. you don't want to do that. So anyway, the other one they did more in the traditional way is Francia Corda. That's when we should see if we can I haven't yeah we talked about that last I, time, I haven't yeah. seen any over a total so I don't they I could probably ask them uh, if they can come up with them because I would really like to try that one now because, you got me curious I'm going to look and see if we have any yeah because it, it is supposed to be another really spectacular wine and of course the Italians do great wine so why why wouldn't they do that one anyway so moving on to Spain Panades region hey I've got one oh you do okay yeah uh, Fergatini, Francia Corda Brut. I thought we did that. I don't know, maybe I didn't pull. I thought we pulled out a Francia Corda. I'll I'll check back. Yeah, in, I don't remember. I I, I have. I'll I'll check back in my my. But box. yeah, we do have a little bit, a little bit on hand. So. Okay. Yeah. I wish I'd known. I would have brought it. Oh well. That's we. You, you you brought some wonderful wines. I'm went, not complaining went, yeah, at all. Well, sort of, sort of. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of brought a wonderful wine. I, I brought the idea of what I wanted to bring. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, sometimes the idea is all you get. <laughs> so we'll we'll go with it. So yeah. So uh, at the Panades region, of course, is right on the coast, the northern coast of of Spain. Uh, very mountainous area. Very close to it. Uh, a number of of really good wine regions around there, including the ones that do the the uh, Priorat, which is a fabulous uh, red wine. Mm -hmm. We've had that. We've done those. Oh, yeah. Those are, mm -hmm. th those are incredible. So 1872, uh, Josep Reventos uh, Fato uh, made a sparkling wine using the, the traditional method made with 
Maccabeo, Periyada, and Zawel Lo, which is the three classic grapes that they use. In fact, one of the wines we had the, the other night was uh, was a Fresh Freshenay, uh the Black Label. Yeah. Which is, and, and we just had that after a Gruet brew, and I was really impressed. I mean, a, a different flavor profile, but really bright, really zingy flavors. So mm. it, it's a nice alternative. Any, anyways, yeah, ca- I mean, those cavas are really um, coming up. Oh yeah, and we do we do really well with uh, Campo Viejo cava. Oh yeah, I mean, just you know, sells like crazy. You yeah, can, and very very reasonably priced. Yeah, well, they, they you're finding them under ten dollars. Yeah, well, Spain for all their wines, the reds, the whites, and and yeah. the sparkling, great uh, value are, are great value. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, legend has it that he was so pleased with the results, he immediately called for a cave, a cava in Spain, to be dug, and from then on, cava was the name used to for all the sparkling wines there. So, and believe it or not, California was doing this in the 1860s. So they were basically making sparkling wine right around the same time as as Spain was, uh, and except for the Prohibition era, I'm, although I'm sure. Some and six, they didn't care about the name, so much. Right. What? But they didn't care about you know what they called it. They're like, yeah, champagne sounds good. We'll use that. Well, yeah, <laughs> they they might have because they but by that time they yeah. they had heard of champagne. Yeah. So yeah. I, when they actually assigned the name, I'm not sure, but you know, we we do know that there was a a big uh, controversy about that. Uh, the champagne region did not want anyone else putting a champagne label on their bottle, which, as we know now, if you could do it legally. Uh, you might actually boost your sales, but that would be dishonest, to say the least. Yes. Uh, but there was a few historic landmakers, uh, uh, you know, winemakers, excuse me, that had grandfathered in the name, including Cook's California Champagne. It has nothing to do with champagne. It has nothing to do with good wine. Thank you very much. I wouldn't even use it to launch a boat, but that's just me. But I, I, I caution people about some wines like that that really aren't that good for you. And that's, I'm just saying that. That's just me, Dr. Hammond, talking about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the the other variation that came out, of course, was, as I mentioned before, was the French Cremant designation. Uh, it was defined in, in 75, but I don't think it was implemented by a number of the other sparkling wine makers until the 80s. Uh, but uh, the... Uh, the, these are sparkling wines that came from the Loire Valley, the Alsace region, and Burgundy. And uh, so they began starting to use those terms. Speaking of terms, um, there's a few other terms we uh, wanted to cover. Uh, one is perlage. Uh, that's a French term for the pearls in a sparkling wine. Not real pearls. No, sorry about that. But uh, basically, the final of the pearls, the better the quality. Tiny bubbles. Is that true, though? <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But the, the one thing you can do, if you if you put a glass of a Charmant process and a Champagne process next to it, you'll see the much finer bubbles are going to be in the Champagne process. So, anyway. I don't know who's taking the time to compare bubbles. You know, no. I think they're just drinking them. They right. Just, yeah. Just, people really aren't comparing bubbles. They're, so. they're only complaining when there's no more bubbles Some, left. Someone's going to come over to your house. You're going to be opening a bottle and you'll be drinking. And they're going to say, "Boy, Jim, you know, I wish you had tinier bubbles in your yeah. in your in your sparkling wine." Yeah. Really, yeah. Uh, not uh, not impressed with the bubble size here. Tiny bubbles <laughs> in your wine. Yeah. So anyway, um, Spumante. Okay. 
another term can be misunderstood. So this is an Italian term for sparkling wines, okay? So they're usually between three and a half and five bars atmosphere. We'll talk about that translation in a bit. Uh, Asti Spamonti was the first one most people were familiar with because it came from the Asti region in the Piedmont region um, in north uh, northwestern um, Italy. And if you're, and if you're uh, old enough, you can still remember the commercial and sing the tune for uh, Martini and Rossi Asti Spumanti. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Everybody knows that one. Oh, yeah, so. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so the other term that confu- that confused people is frazzante. So, yes. again, this is a Italian term for a lightly carbonated wine, usually about two and a half bars atmosphere. So, uh, again, more gentle on it. Uh, it still gives you some of the liveliness, but it's very different. And, of course, the classic one there is uh, Moscato Bianco, uh, the M- Moscato di Asti. Those are really nice wines. I'm going to pause here and ask you and just kind of go off on a little tangent. There's a very popular category and trend which you've seen out there lately. It's, it's sweet red wines, and particularly sweet red Italian wines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ros- Roscato is a great example of Roccetto. wine. And when you open them... They are slightly what I would call frizzante. Mm-hmm. Right. And would you classify those in the traditional frizzante category? Because I, I, they do have some bubbles in, but I can't quite tell if they're if it meets the definition of a frizzante. Can it, can a red still wine or or can a red wine from Italy be be classified as a frizzante? It, well, if it was done by intent, uh, that would be one thing. If, yeah. if, if it was by misadventure. Or just a well, mistake. No, I mean that's the, that's the style, and yeah, that's that's yeah. what they were going for. So they want sweet. You know, that's yeah. that's a right trend. It's this like you've used the term the soda yeah. pop. Yeah. Of wines. Well, the, but brachettos are like that, also in the Piedmonte area. So the brachettos, it's a red wine, a sweet red wine that is done that it is done specifically with the frizzante style. Mm-hmm. So okay, and I, I think part of the reason for that maybe a red wine where you're doing a full on uh, spumante or you know. May, may be a little bit excessive yeah. co- co- compared to, you know, which is why we don't do sparkling reds. We do rosé or we do whites. I wonder if it's to um, appeal to the palate of the of the drinker, right? If someone's drinking and choosing a sweet red wine, and these are, we're talking about, these are sort of the introductory red wines for, for people. Yeah. For a lot of, lot of people, they, they don't really like red wine, and they see sweet red wine as a gateway well, it could be, and, and the fact the frizzante aspect of it would give it some lift and make it a little bit lighter. Right. So, right. so yeah, it, it would be more appealing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hot category. Crazy volume on, the, on that category right now, but that's, it was a little, little sidebar. Okay. So, anyway, the kind of grapes we, we can use, there's lots of them. Of course, we know the classic ones from Champagne, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, which is the one we're doing a still wine of, and uh, Chardonnay, obviously. But uh, Pinot Noir is classically the one most people will do if they're doing a rosé wine or a Blanc Noir's uh, style. But um, in, for white wines, it could be, it could be uh, any of a number of different ones. Usually it's whatever the classic white wine in the country is that they're going to use to make it for obvious reasons. That this is our quality grape. This is what we're doing. So it, it can be a number of others, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Another term I hadn't mentioned on the show before I've mentioned the term, but not explained it possibly, was tirage, okay? Tirage and entourage, okay? So this is, uh, again, this can be confused because they have two different meanings. Tirage is the process of adding yeast and sugar to begin the secondary fermentation, okay? 
Once accomplished, entourage identifies the time the bottle will rest on the leaves of spent yeast cells before they're disgorged. So okay. If, and let's make sure it's not the it's not this group of people that hang out with you when you go from place right. to place. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they just and they yeah. trail behind you. That's yeah. that's an entourage. Yeah. This <laughs> to is, one word. Yeah. <laughs> not Oh, we're gonna do the word things again. Yeah, okay. No, it's on space tourage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And and so that's the time. And of course there's a quality champagne can a lot of process go on for years before they do the disgorgement? Certainly for the vintage ones, they will. And there's also minimum times that are that, that are established, at least in the old world, for the amount of time you can do. So a non-vintage, for instance, uh, which is the most traditional type of sparkling wine, and, and again, it's it's uh, it's sometimes they call it a multi-vintage because there's multiple vintages, and they know that, especially historically, they didn't. Not every year was a vintage year where you would say, "Wow, this is just." This is just going to really kick butt. This is going to be great. Uh, it usually means, well, this was, uh, we were missing on something. Next year, that w- something was not missing, but something else was. And after two or three years, we put all that together. We came out with a cuvee that was really, really good. Vintage worthy. Yeah, vintage worthy. Do they exactly. ever put out, so in a vintage year, do they take the entire bottling and make it a vintage? Or would they take mm-hmm. part of the 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 bottling that they're going to do and, and they name, name that vintage and then use some of it for non-vintage. I would think the quality stuff they would use for the vintage, but the, the stuff that was, that didn't, that was a, it was a good vintage year, but not every vineyard okay. was going to produce. So they're going to separate. Yeah. They're going to separate. And, and they have yeah. to do their, their, their cuvee as, as well. So they have to True, reserve yeah. some of it for, for that. So the very okay. best grapes typically are going to go to the vineyards, but a lot of others are going to be there. Yeah. And it's also going to command a bit, a bit more money for sure. Oh yeah. Absolutely, Will. Uh, No question about that. So anyway, with the non-vendors, minimum time entourage is one and a half years. Okay, so that's by regulation. And and again, it it can vary everywhere. Like the Mum Napa we have here, this was 18 months, a year and a half. Okay, so that that was established as the classic time. Uh, Again, to give enough, uh, this is not too different. We do it with with Chardonnay, right? We, We do a surly process, stir the leaves, and that enriches it. And the same thing is true of Muscadet, uh, that, that wine. A lot of times it actually says surly right on the label. So, you know, this is a standard thing. Anyway, so, and we, and we mentioned the Cuvée, Tête de Cuvée, Grand Cuvée, Cuvée de Prestige, all different names, the Champagne House for their top non-vintage wine. And then Blanc de Blanc means it's all white. Blanc Noir, it means that it's made completely from black grapes. Uh, Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier, if it happens to be champagne. And, of course, we also have a, what we've been trying here, which is really fascinating, is the, is the one that Kevin brought. It's a Gouret 2019 Pinot Meunier, the third anniversary celebration. Um, and, in fact, I'm going to let him talk about this particular wine. Yeah, oh. this was interesting, right? It's, this one was made at the... Uh, the the vintage the vineyard that was a partnership on the Santa Ana Pueblo, so this is the Tamaya vintage. So for those locals listening, because we I know we have listeners all over, not yep. just locals, but if you're local, and you're driving north on 25, and you pass the Gruay Winery about Paseo, and then head out of town a few miles, and you're up past mm-hmm. Bernalillo, and about a mile past the Bernalillo exit, on the right hand side on the east side of the freeway, you will see the Tamaya vineyard it is right there in all its glory right there off the side of the road and that is where these grapes came from so 
Um, and, and I will admit my my error here, Jim. We were looking for the the sparkling version mm-hmm. of this, and uh, the description in our system got cut was was pretty long and lengthy because it had 30th anniversary. It said Pinot Meunier, 30th anniversary, and I didn't know that when I pulled it, it was a still wine. Right. The description didn't give me enough information to know that it was going to be the still version. I thought, oh, it must be the sparkling version. Yeah, well, the, the but, thing is, is, is I appreciate the opportunity to try just the wine by its, because when it's a sparkling wine, it, it's going to have a d- different taste totally, profile. Totally. You're not going to yeah. get to taste really the the heart of the grape. No. At all. A- absolutely. That That's the one ne- negative of it. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's anyway, so yeah. So that, This that is was, a fascinating wine, though. This is no, really yeah. uh, interesting. I was expecting it to, I was waiting for a little more residual sugar, but it, it wasn't really there. No, it, it's very dry the way it's done. It's uh the flavor profile will be a little different from what you would expect from a classic r- r- rosé. Uh, I, I got some cantaloupe in it, uh, some kiwi fruit, and grapefruit, um, and and some nice citrus spice. Really, a nice wine. Uh, so even as a still version, I would certainly recommend this one. Uh, so anyway, but back to the sparkling, since that's what we're mostly covering. So the basic method, as we said, you're doing a secondary fermentation in the bottle with the champagne method. Uh, this is sometimes called the tourage or the liqueur de tourage, if you want to be fancy. And uh, after that second f- fermentation, it's entourage for some period of time. Could could be like six months. Uh, I mean, a couple of years. And then at that time, well, okay, we don't want this to be cloudy wine, so we're going to have to disgorge it. So what are you going to do? Well, you have to gradually tilt the bottle over until the neck is pointed straight down. This takes a process. They actually, in the old day, it was all done manually, which made the labor intensive beyond you could imagine. So they had to keep turning the bottle a little bit and then also putting it a little bit lower. Of course, they have machines that do that now, of course. You know, in a machine age, you would do that. You can still do a very effective job and not have to do it by hand. But some wines are still done by hand. The In the Champagne House, the really prestigious ones, they're, they're going to do everything by hand. No machine whatsoever, and that's okay too. Just that you pay more for it. But anyway, and then the disgorgement process is where you first freeze the, the neck, and remember this has what we call a, a a crown cap on it, very similar to what Soda Pop had, and so this is not the permanent the the permanent cap for it. Uh, this is just temporary, and then they can pop that the and it pops out the uh, the the plug. You put a little bit additional. Uh, wine in to fill it up so that it's complete, uh, filled up again. And you might add a little bit more sugar. This time it's not for fermentation. It's for the sweetness level. And that's called the, the uh, well, the technical term is liquor de expedition uh, or more similarly, dosage. And uh, again, that's another term that gets confused. I was reading recently, by the way, that the types, three types of sugar are sucrose, fructose, and glucose. Mm-hmm. And when they did some uh, flavor uh, study on it, they found that the fructose was the one that was most preferred for the flavor profile. Just a little aside for you there. Anyway, so, and of course, as, as we know, most of the champagnes now are done more dry. But if you're looking for an extra dry, uh, be aware it's actually sweet. Yeah, that's one of those little things that will trip you up on. Uh, extra dry is going to have from 12 to 17 grams of per, per liter of residual sugars. So it's actually a little bit on the sweet side. The uh, dry <laughs> is even sweeter, of course. That's 17 to 32 grams. Demisec and then Dew 
is up to 50 grams. You very seldom see that anymore. Most people like the drier styles anyway. And, and of course, because the grapes can come to harvest a lot better, you don't have the same uh, biting acidity to count to uh, magnify the effect of the carbonation. So Brut is, of course, is the standard one, but extra Brut or Brut uh, Nature, which means no sugar added whatsoever, are very popular. In fact, the, uh, the, uh, in, in the Gruet wines, which are really ni nicely done, they, they also have a, a, a Sauvage that is also basically an extra Brut. We actually had a couple of those at a... Um, Tasting at Gruyere a few weeks ago that uh, Chris Jolblay had uh, basically did the presentation for us. Chris was on a show and brought a bottle of the Gruyere Pinot Meunier sparkling. So we have had a chance to at least try that. So that that was good. We really enjoyed that. Uh, the Cremants I, I mentioned before. So this is an, the, again this is a good value for you. You're getting a really good French quality sparkling wine. But because it's not champagne, you're not paying the same price for it for getting really good quality. So just, and again, different grapes can be used here. Uh, so that, just a quick list, Cremant, Bordeaux, Merlot, and Cab Franc, they may use some Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon because those white wine grapes go there too. But it's not, it's not that popular here. Cremant de Bourgogne, on the other hand, you'll see a lot of them out there. Uh, again, why, why not Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are the principal grapes, but you'll also see Aligote, uh, Aligote, excuse me, which is a wonderful grape. We actually tried 100%, which was pretty impressive. And so that's, th those Cremants are very popular, really good quality. Uh, Cremant de Alsace is another one. We've had one of those on the show. Ooh, those are really nicely done sparklers. Um, so they're going to do uh, Pinot Blanc, um, Auxerrois, which is A-U-X-E-R-R-O-I-S, Auxerrois, Pinot Gris, Riesling, Chardonnay, and Pinot Noir. So there's a lot of different possibilities you can get. If they're doing a rosé, it's always 100% Pinot Noir, which is also a very nice grape that they do as a still wine. Uh, you probably had, have you had any of the Alsace? I don't think I have, no. Although there's probably thousands of things I haven't had oh, in, well, the, in the wine world. So. We'll give you more opportunities to do that. Which means there's plenty that. of time to do that. Right? <laughs> exactly. And then the, the Cremant de Lameau we already talked about. And then Cremant de Loire. And we actually did one of those on the show. That was a uh, Chenin Blanc, uh, which is a classic grape that they make the Vouvray from. And that also was a really, again, a different profile, really bright, lively, very, very nice wine. The other ones you probably won't in encounter unless you're in France, uh, Cremant de Dadi, uh, which is D-I-E. Who would want that anyway? Do you want a Cremant right. to die for it? No, I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, Cremant de Jura and Cremant de Savoie. Those are very rare here. I haven't seen any of those. No, I haven't even seen them. No. Uh, well, yeah, the, 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 well, you wouldn't because no one would know what the heck they were right. anyway, yeah. right? You'd say, right. what the heck is this stuff? It's just, Some and, things are better left to the locals. Yeah. Anyway, ex exactly. That like may you be the case. You don't find uh, red or green chili on the East Coast too much. No, I think so, I, I think thing. that would be off-putting for yeah. some people. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I never even heard of it till I moved out here. Yeah. 
So the, the other method we, we talked about, and we talked about the riddling process, and, and that was the transfer method. And uh, again, this is something I learned recently too. But you think about it, it's like if you have a really big format bottle, um, the smallest format would be the Jeroboam. That's three liters. That's four bottles, okay? They can go all the way up to a Melchizedek, which is 30 liters. You know how heavy 30 liters is? If you tried to put that in the Riddling rack, it would destroy the entire rack. So. Yeah, I saw a story. There was a um, after one of the sports teams. I think it, I think it might have been the the Boston Bruins won the NHL Stanley Cup one year. They were celebrating in Las Vegas with a 30 liter of uh, Armand de Brignac. Oh, geez. Yeah, it was. I think I think the bottle was like 115,000, 120,000 for the bottle is what they charged. Somewhere Don't tell range. me they sprayed it on themselves. I don't know what they did with it. They I hope have, they, they didn't spray have. it. It's yeah. like you know, it's like no, no, that, that that's just not right. I don't know. I don't know. Can you even shake a thirty-liter bottle like without you know? It's it's gonna that's gonna be pretty, no, you, no. It, you, you would need to have heavy. it in an earthquake zone, yeah. and, and just pray for it. But no, no. no you, I'm sure they drank drank it, but they, they you know they wanted to say they bought it. Well, it's not like one guy's going to pick it up and shake it over everybody else. It was like, no, that's not going to happen. I don't care how big the players are. They aren't going to be able to do that. So, anyway. Uh, so, anyway, going going back to, uh, and then the, the last one would be, you know, just to, to cover all the bases, Italy, we already mentioned, Prosecco. Uh, again, done with the bulk method. Then you also have the Valdobia Danni. These, uh, we just had one of those that we got from Trader Joe's. That was ridiculously cheap. It, it's really, you know, the others, uh, regular Prosecco can be a little sweet, and they're usually DOC. The Valdobia Denny is DOCG, higher quality, much smaller area, and it's usually done more in the root style, and it is a really excellent wine. Especially at the price, it's like it'll compete well with the Spanish Cavas. And, of course, we talk about the Spanish Cavas. Uh, in Portugal, Vino Verde, done in a frizzante style, but they also can do it in what they call a espumante, which is their version of espumante. Okay, yeah, the Portuguese and the Spanish have just slight differences in how they pronounce and spell things. Okay, domestic sparklers, that's where we are now. So we have a num, num, a num, yeah, <laughs> a mum napa. Well, you might be numb after a while of numb, so... Yeah, that's what you would say. He was he was mum numb. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so, uh, so we we already know Gouray wines are a first choice here. Of course they are. Why wouldn't they be? They're here locally. We we love it. We love the fact that a lot of the things about it, like the you know the the Camaye uh, vineyards, we have vineyards right here where this wines come from. It's pretty special. Um, they, of course, they're now part of the Precept wine. Uh, so it's a, a, a Seattle-based, privately held wine producer. Uh, so the vintage wines they have, the 2016 Blanc de Blanc, the 2012 Grand Blanc Noir, the 2017 Sauvage Magnum, and the 2016 Gilbert Grand Reserve. Uh, so those are all really excellent wines. For the non-vintage, you got the Brew and Demi-Sec at 15, the Blanc de, uh, de Blanc, the Blanc Noir, and the Root Rosé are all 17. Again, these are new price changes recently. Yeah, I can tell you. I mean, you've got what you have is great value for a fantastic and well-made bottle of sparkling wine that mm -hmm. you know uh, you're still supporting New Mexico economy. 
you're lo- it's being there local. You it, you know, I know it's owned by a company out of Seattle, but it's still supporting the local economy. Right. It's being produced here. Mm-hmm. The people are employed here by it. So, you know, it's and you're getting a fantastic bottle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For the money. Yeah. For sure. And then I talked about the Sauvage. So the first time uh, my wife and I tried the Sauvage, we said, okay, that's our wine. Uh, and it's, it's spectacular. It be, you know, it started the same price as the others, and, of course, the price went up over time because it's special. Anyway, Sauvage Brut and Rosé are $20, worth every penny, really, if, if you want a really dry, really kind of like a Cristal. At a fraction of the price, <laughs> this would be the one to do. And of course, the the California regions is where most of the other quality stuff comes from. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Roder and Anderson Valley, Mum Napa, the one we're doing here, Domaine Carneros, Schramsberg, uh, Napa, Iron Horse uh, in Green Valley. But by the way, when we we're talking about the the, the top hundred wines l- uh, last week. The, their Russian River Valley Wedding Cuvée ranked number three as a Best Buy. Did I ever tell you my Wedding Cuvée story? No. Oh, okay. So I used that bottle of wine. It was in 1990. I, 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 I proposed to my wife um, with Iron Horse Wedding Cuvée. Uh, and That's a quality guy right there, yeah. let me tell you. And this was back <laughs> at, this was we got married in 1999, so this was back in 90. Seven ish, uh-huh. and it was I think it was a 1995 vintage bottle, but what I had I had the proposal etched into the bottle. So the proposal was, and I still we we bought two, and I still have one that's unopened uh-huh. from back then from 1995. I still have a bottle of that Iron Horse Wedding Cuvee. Oh boy! I have to show I have to show you that. So I have a picture of it too. I have to show you. But so anyway, uh, we were having dinner at um, at. Uh, Emeralds New Orleans Fish House at the M- at the MGM. We were living in Las Vegas, and okay. we were friendly with the, the the sommelier and the manager. And so we were sitting down dinner, and we we're picking the wine. And um, I said to the to, so I said, you know, what? I said you you choose something, you know, choose something nice off the list, you know. We'll we'll we'll, we'll go with your selection, and and my then, uh, not even my fiance, right? Because I hadn't proposed yet. Yep. Uh, Jill said to me, she goes. She thought, boy, that's kind of odd. Kevin letting somebody else pick the wine at a restaurant—that's mm-hmm. yeah, very unusual, you know. Because she knew I was it was always we were I was in the wine business, so I was right. picking, I was choosing wines. Mm-hmm. So he comes back over with the wine, and he shows it to me, and I nod. I said, you know, let me show it to her. And when he shows it to her, as he's showing it to her, is when I went around and got down on one knee, and he showed her the bottle, and the bottle had the proposal etched into it. Oh. And I delivered the proposal right there in the middle of the restaurant um, with the Iron Horse Wedding Cuvée. So very special bottle to me. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Wow, that's a very special yeah. memory. Wow. Sorry, I, pictures to, I, of that? To share that. I do have pictures of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I have oh, to show you that. Yeah, it's from, that, and that was in, yeah, say it was 1997. And now we've been, we've been married for 20, this will be our 22nd year. Yeah. So, Congratulations again. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, well. That was a lot classier. <laughs> I did it, but we won't even go to how that happened. But anyway, well, you, I mean, you know what? You you said you as soon as you mentioned that brand, right? The memory comes back. You know, that's the beauty of memories. I hope I don't lose them. <laughs> I want to hang on to them as long as I can. You've always got that bottle etched in there. No, I hope I don't forget what what I did. Okay. 
I got, I got, you know, a few more nah, years before nah, that'll that, happen. That, that's okay. that's not going to be a problem. All right. So anyway, so this is Mum Napa. So there's a long history of this particular sparkling wine. I uh, just wanted to cover a little bit of it. 1827, uh, Jacobus Gottlieb and Philip uh, Mum established their champagne house in Rheims, France, right in the heart of the Champagne region. In 1876, G. H. Mum, as it was called, I guess Jacobus probably was gone, but by then or he lost interest, I'm not sure. Uh, they, they, they use a cordon rouge sash on the neck of every bottle of their cuvee brut. So this sash is a nod to the highest of French honors, the Order Royal et Militaire Saint-Louis. Uh, so Mum Napa proudly uses the, sa the sash today in recognition of their French heritage. And you might recall in the movie Casablanca, when uh, Bogart is pouring some wine, he's at the p piano with Sam, and his and uh, he's right, right 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 there with his favorite woman from Paris when they had Paris, and he's pouring and it's a product placement the first product placement I remember of a of a wine, and it was pretty obvious it's black and white but you can still see the sash over oh, it, and when, when when I do a presentation with that I say so has anyone noticed what the wine was? They all missed it. It was like you missed the Cordon Rouge. What's the matter with you? Anyway. So, uh, moving fast forward into 100 years, 1976 to 1979, the founding president, winemaker of Mum, Guy DeVoe, uh, sent by G.H. Mum to search for and discover the ideal wine-making area for growing traditional champagne grapes in the United States. Well, where was that? Napa. Of course. What a surprise. And uh, so, in, in 1983, uh, they, they, he produced Mum Napa's first vintage, Sold under the name Domain Mum, okay, and uh, in in eighteen uh, in in nineteen eighty nine, Mum Napa produced the first vintage of their Tatacovay DVX Origins in honor of Guy Deveau, and they changed the name in nineteen ninety from Domain Mum to Mum Napa. So if you get confused about these things, again, if it's if it's G H Mum, it's the French version. That's correct. If it's Mum Napa, it's the American version, both Two great quality. Great quality, just you're going to notice the price point difference pretty pretty easily. Yeah, and in fact, one of the things that in 2002, long-standing partnership with the San Francisco Giants began. The Giants celebrated their 2010 and 2012 World Series victories with Mum Napa. A little-known fact, just nice. that you might not have keeping been aware it, of. Keeping it local. Yeah. 2012, they became the first California sparkling winery to receive 94 points from Wine Spectator for their 2004 DVX. So there you go. That's a little history for you for why these are wines that we all select. And and uh, one of the things that Kevin's going to do is talk to you about, because I, I mentioned the fact that the price was really great, and now he's going to explain why that is. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the time of year. I mean, you've got, you know, this is the time when bubbles come out to shine. And uh, according to uh, the supplier, with the way they price structure, they bring the price down intentionally during the holidays mm -hmm. because they know people are buying more champagne and sparkling wine. And they also know that there's a lot of competition for these wines during this time of year. So they want to make it a little more enticing to buy their wine during the holidays. So you will see upwards of a 4 to $5 a bottle price difference. Right. During November and December than you would any other time of year. So really, if you're going to buy this wine, now is the time to buy it. And if you're going to need it for a future occasion, if you want to get a bottle now for Valentine's Day 
or for a special occasion or a birthday. So that would be the reason to get it now. Stock up. I mean, you're never exactly. going to find a better price than during the holidays. Exactly. In fact, that was my point exactly. A lot of people yeah. think, well, you, you buy it and then, then you're going to consume it right away. No, no, no. Even a non-vintage sparkling wine, a, a quality one like these, you lay them down for a year and you have them next year. They were gonna, they're going to taste better, I guarantee you. Uh, because they, 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 they do still age and they still do get better. Uh, so you don't, you know, if, you, if you're planning an event, have the wines in there in the wine cellar a couple of months before. It's always better that way. Absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, that's some great advice on the holidays. And, um, you know, I know we're going to be opening some sparkling for this holiday shirt for sure. I mean, gosh, I mean, you did it for, you, you know, not just for Christmas, but for New Year's. I mean, well, well most particularly for New Year's. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's it's sort of a, you know, it's funny because I, I work, I will go out and um, I'm going to work the stores during these, during these holidays. I'm going to, I'm going to help stock stores. I'm going to help customers find what they want. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm. I try not to steer people away from anything. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes in and knows what they want, I'm going to take them to exactly what they asked for. Mm-hmm. Going to help them. But if they don't know what they want, even if it's cooks, even if it's even if it's cooks, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, but you know what? I'm gonna. They they say you know if they're looking for that, then they're looking for that, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to change their mind on it. But I am going to let them know that it, that is not exactly the best quality. Yeah. Right. If that's all they want to do, if they want that quality level, please understand that you're not going to get a great taste profile out of it. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to get an experience of a sparkling wine that you would 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 otherwise get with something. You know, I try to tell people that probably the best price point for a sparkling wine, if you're if you're not really sure where to go, if you don't want to spend a a lot of money, is in that ten to fifteen dollar range. Oh yeah. That's kind of where I tell people, like you know, you're. If you spend ten to fifteen dollars, you're not going to get anything too terrible. No, no, you're going to get a lot of proseccos in yeah. that, you know, a lot of cavas in that range, right? And and a, a couple of Cremant uh, wines as well. So a few dollars more or less, you're going to end up with the Gruet. You know, yep. Gruet is going to be in that pretty close to that price range. So, you know, I tell people like, you know, it's hey, it's it, you do what you want, you do what you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But if you want my opinion, I would spend between ten and fifteen dollars. If you, if you don't if you're not ready to spend you know some people come in and they want twenty thirty fifty dollar bottles oh yeah and that's fine mm-hmm. you're well please enjoy but if if you're uh, you know for a special occasion not yeah. not just the holidays you know that would make sense I don't yeah. know what the exact figure is but th- there's a very large percentage of people where they only go out shopping for spirits and wines once or twice a year and this is the time of year they do it oh uh, yeah you find them in the store and they they've ne- they haven't been in a in a liquor store in a year. <laughs> or more, or, or more. They can't even navigate themselves through the aisles. Which is where's why, which is why we're the there to help. No, yeah. it's just, I, I get a lot of that too. Like, what, you know, yeah. where's the section? It's yeah. over here. You know, right. point them in the right direction. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a, a. I rarely run into people that don't want assistance. You know, there's yeah. different levels of assistance. It's one thing to try to sell somebody a bottle of something that they may or may not want. It's another thing to just help them find what it is they're looking for. And help guide them. I always start with, hey, mm-hmm. what what price point? Let's start mm-hmm. with price point first, yep. right? Or you know, give me an idea of what you're looking to spend, mm-hmm. and then I'll point you in the direction of something that might fit that that you might enjoy. Yep. And then you, and then I leave you alone. It's up to you to decide what to buy. Unlike some places where I I hear they place bottles in your hand. <laughs> I've oh, heard really? I've heard stories. 
mm-hmm. of where the where they place bottles in your hand and say, "Here, you want this." <laughs> like, hmm. Okay. I don't know if I want that. <laughs> Moving on right to the end here, I think is prep. So the last thing is is this is our our service announcement about opening champagne or any sparkling wine safely. Uh, I didn't mention the atmospheres, but if you're doing a champagne or any in that process, the pressure can be up to 99 psi. Okay, that's that means when that cork comes out, it's going to go flying. So you want to be very careful about where you point it. Okay, unless there's someone you really don't like, you just don't want to point it at people. Uh, so just don't do that. Not at the head, certainly not at the crotch level. Just don't do that. Okay, but. Uh, so the, the first thing to do is, uh, again, non-vintage champagne can age up to three years after release. Cuvée de Precise, even longer, okay? So be aware of that, right? So, 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 so now you're pulling out of storage. Uh, if it's more than a month, you want to have it horizontal in the rack like anything else. Remember, this is an, a cork, a natural cork. So you don't want to have it standing upright if you're not going to be consuming it for a while. Um, then you start with a well-chilled bottle. Um, and, and I mean a well-chilled bottle, not one that's been rolling around the back seat of your car for the last hour, okay? Un- unless you're you're then going to a baseball celebration and you want to coat everyone with the wine, <laughs> all right? But uh, now hold the bottle at a 45-degree angle, loosen the cage, take six turns. You can count if you need to. Uh, it'll be pretty obvious when you've done six. And now leave the cage on, okay? The, the, the next thing you want to do is, while you're still holding at that 45-degree angle, is grasp firmly the cork and the cage and then turn the base of the bottle. What you've done is increase the mechanical advantage by using just the base so you can open it more smoothly, and the cage gives you a better grip resistance. Now, and and you, you can choose. I sometimes put a cloth over my hand, yeah. over the cage, you know, yeah. to well, cover it. But that's that's a personal well, option. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that you can do that. That's the, the thing is, if you're leaving the cage on, again, this is particularly true of the of champagne. The corks they use have a really smooth. I almost think they put oil on the top of it. It's like you don't have a really good grip resistance. I'm telling you, you really don't. So either you're going to find a cloth, something you can put over it to right. open it, and and if you don't do that, you're jerking the bottle. That means you're shaking it, okay? That means there's more chance of it spraying out. Also, make sure you have your champagne flutes or whatever close at hand in case after all these things you do, it still doesn't work. But if you've done it possibly and ease the cork out, uh, you'll just have a soft, a little tiny hiss that comes out. That's what we professionals call the queen passing gas, okay? (laughs) So it's a technical term. And uh, then, and, and again, keeping the glasses at a 45 degree angle when you pour the wine in, you can fill them a lot faster. So this is what we, that we specify. Now, s- some people will hold the bottle on the base and with the punt, that's the in-depth, to, when, when they pour. With a, a regular 750, I would do that. With a Magnum, I would be a little more careful, <laughs> let's say. What's the purpose of the punt? I, I think I know. I've heard different it, versions it, it, of it's, it. It's, the, it's this dispersing the pressure in the base of the bottle. Okay. Uh, so, 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 so that you don't have the pressure... S- it's distributed instead of the, it being flat over the base of it. It's distributed over with the punt. You're basically distributing the pressure uh, a, a little bit more out, so it's going to be less oh, and and more surface area, and more surface area. Yeah, interesting. But it's also handled for your your thumb. Yeah, yeah. You know. But th- and it's also you, you'll notice the the champagne and sparkling wine bottles are much thicker than your oh, yeah. than your regular glass wine bottle. 
they, they, they have to be. So that's, that's, your, uh, that, that's your information on opening those bottles safely uh, and drinking them and enjoying them safely and sanely. Uh, so, so that uh, if you are joining someone at, at a place, make, make sure you're just not overdoing it or you have a designated driver uh, that is only drinking the Martinelli Sparking Cider. Yeah. Which is a, another good alternative for those, if you have some friends that don't, Martinelli Sparkling Cider or any of those sparkling ciders are really, there's a, a number of different brands, are really nice that give you almost the, 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 the aspect of drinking a sparkling wine, but no alcohol, so you aren't going to be doing anything silly later. So, so what's the difference between the glassware? You know, people always talk about like, what you, is it a champagne flute? Is it a coupe? Is it a wine glass? You know, what's what what's the uh, what's the etiquette on a, on glassware? Well, the coupe used to be the standard one. In fact, if you look at any old movies, that's what you'll see, and that's what they use in in uh, Louis's time, the King Louis, and and they would put it the the wine, and of course it wasn't. They didn't do a disgorgement, so it was it it was what filtered right. So you had the sediment, in it. so they would slam it down like a tequila shot, and then they would upturn the coupe to get, to get all the residual out of it before hmm. they had their their next shot. And of course, by the time we had the uh, and, and of course the you know the the idea was that this was supposedly uh, designed at, over Marie Antoinette's left breast. And, of course, that's an apocryphal story. I can't imagine the, the, the glassware people come and says, excuse me, Marie, can we borrow your left dress so we can make some wines here, lime glasses here? I don't think that was going to happen. But anyway, it is. it does have that, uh, that aspect to it if you think about it. And that can be kind of appealing. But be aware that because it's not on a champagne flute, it's going to lose its bubbles a lot faster or lose its head, as we say. And you don't have to have it with cake. So there's, there's always that advantage as well. So... I would suggest a champagne flute over a coupe. I, you know, you can uh, you can use whatever kind of champagne flute you want, but uh, certainly there are a nice um, quality choices out there. Riedel glassware makes a, a fine champagne flute. Oh, they yeah. make fine glassware all around. I had the mm. pleasure of uh, meeting the rep from Riedel during Santa Fe Wine and Chili, mm. and uh, I learned a lot about the various glass, you know, glassware makes a difference. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting how, you know, the, the shape of the glass and the, can, can really influence the taste of the, of the product. Oh yeah. Well, we have some special ones that are real tall ones. Mm -hmm. They're taller than a bottle and very narrow at the base. And when you, because, you know, the shape of the bottle is going to also influence the amount of bubbles and you put those in there and you swear someone has boiling water and it just like it swirls at the bottom and just swirls all the way up through it. So if you're looking for a visual appeal, there's different flutes you can get out there that will enhance that aspect. Fantastic. Another good edition here of the Spirits of New Mexico with Jim Hammond and Kevin Petresnik here on this Christmas evening. Hopefully uh, this one is called Home for the Holidays. Oh, I hope well, so. Well, that's good for you guys. At least you guys know where your home is. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can come to our home anytime, buddy. You got a bed? <laughs> I do, actually. All right. I think I'll, I'll go sleep over at your place. How's that mean? Okay. Remember, I'm the homeless mayoral candidate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you same time, same place next week right here in the Kiva. The M1600 KIV ABQ.FM.